Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards at pureandsimplebible.com. So glad you're back. And we're in the middle of a conversation, a conversation that is a little bit different than I normally do. Typically, I have one guest, but for this conversation about Bible study with others, I've asked a couple of guys to come into studio. We've got Nate Bibbins and Aaron Boone joining me, and we've already had part of the conversation. So if you haven't listened to the first part, I really encourage you to pause this one and go back and start from the beginning. This is episode two in a mini-series on Bible study with others. So go back and check that out, and once we're all caught up, let's jump into the second part of this conversation, beginning with a thought about the rabbit hole and what happens when you study with others and they bring up some peculiar or obscure question that has nothing to do with the things y'all had got together to study. Let's begin. Thumbs up. That that makes me think of this question, the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. You know, so you prepared for Genesis or you prepared <laughs> for uh, Bible authority, and then you get there and they say, well, what about the rapture, right? Yeah. And so yeah. you're like, oh boy. How do you guys handle these uh, potential rabbit holes? Do you go down with them? Do you try to bring them out? Uh, again, the, we're talking very generally, and so I know sometimes it's going to be either or, but if you right. had something specific that you wanted to accomplish, what do you do whenever people start throwing things into the study that are off track? I think it depends on what kind of study you're having. Uh, if we agreed to get together to talk about baptism, sure, you know, for whatever reason we've decided, and something like that comes up, then I think it's perfectly acceptable to say that's a great question, but let's let's finish up this study first, mm-hmm. and then let's mm-hmm. come back to that. And I think most people respect that. Um, or you know, I've even had I've tried to have Bible studies before that you know where I opened up you know did some Facebook advertising and. Didn't know who would come in, but I had a study that we kind of go through, and you try and stay on, on task. Yeah. Um, now, if it's just a, a discussion that's happening, um, you know, you just meet someone at the coffee shop, they see you reading the Bible, and you're not really having a Bible study, you're just talking about things, and they ask this or that. I try and go as far as I can with people, because I do think in that scenario, um, I want to talk about what they're interested in. Sure. And if... You know, they bring up the rapture, let's just, and I say, no, let's talk about baptism. You know, that's not very respectful in sure. one sense. Sure. Um, so I think it's the setting. Yeah. Um, a discussion, you can kind of go off, but if you've set the goals of the study, then you can always say, let's come back to that. That's fair. I like that you're, maybe the distinction between uh, the rudeness of somebody they were the one that kind of inst- yeah. started the conversation and <laughs> yeah. like, no, we're not talking about that. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about what I want to talk about, yeah. which goes back to what we've talked about earlier, the spirit of if you're genuinely showing interest mm-hmm. in them, then they're probably going to be open to the yeah. conversation. But if, if they can tell that you're just waiting your turn to speak, yeah. um, that's a big turnoff for me. And that's mm-hmm. not just Bible studies. That's conversations in general. If somebody's just, I can tell they're not interested in anything but their own voice, then yeah. peace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. What about, so in the same settings where maybe uh, instead of it being about rabbit holes, let's talk about it being false views. So you've, you've got together with someone 
and they happen to throw out this comment and it's, you know, it would be an alley-oop to respond to mm -hmm. it with, with correcting it. But maybe it's off topic or it's not um, mm. cohesive with the study that you had planned. How do you juggle that response where it's, well, do I let it go or do I bring it up later? What's some thoughts on that? Yeah. We're tag teaming, huh? <laughs> um, I think for me, with stuff like that, I'll try and stay on topic. Um, we might address it a little bit. Um, but just to the point where we say, hey, that's a great point. I have an answer for it, but we're here. We can get there and be able to both come to a, an answer. And I think that would, and I'll say, I think that's the best thing for us to do. Mm. And so it's acknowledging that they have a question, acknowledging that there's an answer. But also if you're in the middle of something else, which is what we've talked about, trying to stay there, but giving them a time frame. At the end of the study, let's get like, we'll cut this short. And we'll talk about that at the end. Mm -hmm. Rather than messing this thing up, getting to that, and then maybe never getting back, giving them a time frame of when you want to answer that question. But recognizing it and acknowledging it, I think, is always important. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of what I've done in the past with questions like that is you sure. want to acknowledge it and you want to give them a time frame and say, this is when we'll talk about it and not forget it. That's a good one. Because, you know, I think it'd be easy for me to Kind of move on and forget about it, but you're you're acknowledging that was relevant and real, right? And to them, worthy of right. Okay, and it's not always possible, but sometimes you can kind of weave the study back to that point, right? You know, just let's say you're talking about faith, and they make some comment about you know baptism as a work, and you don't really want to jump right there yet. You can continue talking about faith, but knowing where they've come from, knowing right. what they've said. Um, you can start steering the direction, the the discussion that way. Sure. And so then you can still come back to it, and you've talked about it. Right. But also not just derailing the conversation. Yeah. Because um, sometimes that, you can just jump from one to the other. Um, you know, they make this statement, that statement, this yeah. statement. And then at the end of it, what have you studied? Yeah. <laughs> and there's times where like I'll study with individuals. And we'll have notes or whatever in front of us. Sometimes it's just an open notebook that I'll have with some verses that I think maybe I will talk about these. Mm -hmm. And if somebody asks a question like that about baptism and works, and I'll say that, I will I'll make a note. I'll write it there in the top right corner. Right. And I'll circle it. I'm coming back to this. Yeah. And you, you want them to see that yeah. whenever you're doing it? Yeah. Good. Yeah, I like that too. Let me give you a practical, like a, a, a tangible example. That's the better word. Tangible example of this part of our conversation, it just popped in my head there earlier when you were making a point. Um, so I had a, a, back when I was in college, most recently, I had a, a fellow intern and we were walking down the hall. She was, she's a believer and um, she was, we were talking about humanism. So we were in this philosophical discussion about humanism and she's like, my model of therapy is humanistic, but we can't, really believe that, right? Because all babies are born in sin in the Christian view, and then in this humanistic view, everybody's good. And so how do we reconcile that? So here I was, like, she's setting me up so that I could have a, a theological discussion about original sin, but really what she's after was about um, balancing humanism mm -hmm. and, and her Christian convictions. And so my response was, well, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, 
But I don't believe babies are born in sin. And I also think that there is a objective truth that humanism doesn't address. And so I have concerns about humanism as well. She's like, what? (laughs) Babies aren't born in sin? Well, it led to a Bible study later. But in the moment, she needed validation that that her convictions uh, as a believer versus her professional convictions as a therapist, she was trying to figure out how to balance yeah. it. So that's where we needed to be, was mm-hmm. in the balance, not right. original sin. Instead of just saying, oh, that's an interesting point. And moving on, right? you address both, you acknowledge both, and that led to a Bible study. Exactly. How easy it would be have been to skirt past it mm-hmm. instead of uh, addressing it. Right. Which was the whole point of me telling that story so that I could praise how great of a response yes. I had. Yes, fantastic. <laughs> I'd pat your back, but your hand's in the way. <laughs> Oh, man. I like that. Pat your back, but your hand's in the way. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I, have, I have this question. How do you keep studies going across people's busy lives and schedules? So I've found just through my experience that this is probably the number one killer of a study mm-hmm. is, quote, unquote, life happens. Yeah. So what do you do to engage and motivate people to keep coming back? Well... When one of you guys get the answer to that, I'll be really excited to hear it. I oh go take ahead. It away. Go ahead. I was gonna make a joke saying leave him on a cliffhanger, <laughs> but I don't know if life does happen, and we always have to be ready for that. One of the nice things about being, and I know each of us are different. You have your therapy work and other works that you do as well um, that I don't have, and so our schedules are a little bit different. One of the nice things about being a full-time evangelist is you're a little bit more flexible with some of those scheduling. Sure. And that changes with families too. You know, if you have a family, you don't want to be free at 9 p.m. every night. You want to be able to put your kids to bed. Right. Um, And so some of that changes. That is one of the nice things though about being a full-time evangelist is you can be a little more flexible with your schedule. But life does happen and I think we have to acknowledge that with some people. And for me, it's just I'm there. I'm going to be there. And if they start making an effort, that's great. But no matter what, I'm going to be there. And that's frustrating at times because you feel like you get left hanging sometimes. But that's one of the ways that I want is I'm just going to tell show people that I will always be there. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully that as we study the gospel, again, it's not me that is hopefully attracting them. It's the gospel. And as we're putting that into people's lives, hopefully it's working on their heart in a way that as they see me being there, that they're going to want to be there too. Yeah. This is one of those areas where I think evangelism and sales are two totally different things. Right. And sales, you know, if they start putting you off, mm-hmm. you got to find more ways to get in front of them. You got to try and get a hold of them. You got to almost push them. And <clears throat> it's not that we give up on people, but I think even when you look at Jesus, how many times people were coming to him? And the invitation was open for them to come to him. But he didn't go out of his way to go grab people that weren't interested. Right. Constantly. That's a good point. And that's not giving up on people. But if someone says they want to study the Bible, you know, I look at it as when works for you. Um, And again, and yeah, as a preacher, we have more of that flexibility. I'm going to try and make that work, whatever happens. But if that gets canceled and gets canceled and gets canceled, or if you have a Bible study once or twice and then there's always a reason, I don't feel like pushing that. Yeah. Um, 
And not that you give up again, but I think that idea you're always ready. I try and be as flexible as I can be for them. But there does have to be that desire. Yeah. Um, so, for example, I've had a study with a guy, and we studied probably four or five times consistently, really well. And then life happened. He had to go on a business trip. I said, okay, I'll be here when you're back. Because uh, he didn't think he could make it work while he was gone. I said, okay, I'll be here when you came back. I knew when he was coming back, so the week of, I said, hey, I'm still here. I texted him, hey, I'm still here if you want to get together. He said, yeah, let's do it. So we got together. And then over time, you know, life happened. He missed his alarm, and which is always, an, you know, he set the time. He missed his alarm to get together for study. And that's happened four or five times. And to the point where the last time we had a conversation, I just said, listen, we don't need to schedule anything right now because obviously life is happening for you. Whenever you're ready, I will pick it back up. And I will, we'll start right where we were and we'll pick back up. And he said, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, we'll get going. We'll get back into our habit. And I said, okay, whenever you're ready, I'm here. Just let me know. And like I said, that was after five, three, slept through his alarms. One, he was at a softball game or something and forgot to tell me. And I just said, well, okay. If I'll be here. Right. Whenever you are ready. I feel like that guy would benefit from this. Um, As I call him out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's what I, I was, you know, that was my point. He'll just benefit from being called out on the yeah. podcast. No, I uh, don't remember who taught me this. I, I'm not creative enough to have thought it up myself, but um, setting a amount of studies that mm-hmm. has a final point has been probably the best strategy I've ever used. Okay. And that is uh, in study one, it's a person study. And I go into it with no expectations of us getting together again. But let's say it's Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Let's just, you know, for the Mm -hmm. sake of the example. And uh, so on Tuesday at 7, we've got together for coffee. We've we've had this person study. They realize they're motivated. And what I'll say is um, I think we could really do some great work on, you know, the story of the Bible. You know, Mm -hmm. you've used that example a couple times. And I, I think we could, across six Tuesdays, really show just this uh, amazing picture of the mm-hmm. redemption of, of Christ. What do you think about six weeks? And they're like, that's great. And I'll even say this. I'll say, I don't want to lose all my Tuesdays for the rest of my life. I know you don't either. And so that's why I think six could be good. And at the end of it, if we want to do more, we can mm-hmm. start. Or if we want to take a break, we can. Mm-hmm. And I've I've had the most success with people going all six instead of just saying, we're going to start a Bible study on Tuesdays at 7 at PJ's Coffee, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see you there. Until the Lord returns. Yeah. <laughs> and usually they'll go three weeks. Three yeah. is like the number where they either slept through an alarm or right. yeah. something came up. Yeah. And then it's like it's the beginning of the end where yeah. there's excuses right. and, and on both sides, you know. Yeah. But by saying six, <clears throat> I don't know, there's something about or five or eight or whatever the, mm-hmm. the number is, but they... They're saying about knowing the end. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It it makes it more swallowable or manageable to do something like that. What are you guys' thoughts on closed-ended and open-ended questions? Mm -hmm. Um, When are they useful, not useful, et cetera? Would it be helpful if maybe I explained it for our listeners, what an open-ended question and a closed-ended is? Or is that... uh, 
Good idea. Okay, just in case. Yeah. Is this a closed-ended or open-ended <laughs> question? <laughs> ah, you got me. Yeah, so like a closed-ended <laughs> question would be yeah. a yes or no or a fill-in-the-blank response. And then an open-ended question would... Open-ended response would be, really, there's the multiple answers or you're, you're seeking kind of their input or thought on a subject that maybe there is a specific answer to yeah. that you're going to give them the chance to take it for a test drive. That's where, and this is really hard for me, and maybe it's because I'm more used to giving sermons, but when it's a Bible study, I much prefer a discussion. Um, and even the questions, I guess, would typically be more open-ended because um, the closed-ended... Now, there may be times, um, you know, in this passage, did Jesus say, we must be baptized? You know, that may be a yes or no. Sure. But more often than not, you're studying a passage and asking what their thoughts are, what their questions are, and getting someone talking. And this is true whether it's, you know, another Christian we're talking with or an outsider... Um, that discussion is so much more meaningful because I feel like the close ended, they answer and you're back to sermonizing. Sure. So quickly. Um, and you, you've learned more from them when it's a discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like I even think when we see some of the interactions with, uh, you know, Jesus as a boy of 12 at the temple, um, that when I was a kid, I always thought Jesus was 12, like up teaching the crowds. And that's <laughs> their method of teaching was a question and answer. And what the people are impressed with is here's this 12 year old that's asking great questions and answering. But it was a discussion style teaching sure. format. You see Paul mm-hmm. sermonizing, but also discussing. And so I just feel like the best way for me is trying to facilitate a discussion back and forth. Yeah. And so close-ended questions um, that try and make a point, and then I start talking again, don't facilitate that very well. Okay. It almost seems like sometimes there's a timeline for your questions, and that over a period of time, as you're building relationships, you need open-ended questions. Because that's what you said. Mm-hmm. That's where you learn. But as you study your six studies, as you go through, as you build a relationship, I think that opens you up to be able to ask closed-ended questions. For instance, I knew a guy who told a story. He studied with an individual who believed in speaking in tongues. Sure. And he said he studied with him for about a year, and they would come back to it every now and then and talk about it. And he said after, I think it was about a year, maybe a year and a half, he just asked him, are you faking it? To the response, the guy said, I think I am. Hmm. But he couldn't ask that question at the beginning. Right, right, okay. That question had to be asked later. Sure. Yeah. And so sometimes in order to be successful with closed-ended questions, you have to first ask open-ended, get to know them, mm-hmm. and build those relationships. Mm. And so it seems like there's there's tact to when you ask both. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. The problem with, with me as host is that I don't get time to like reflect on these good points i have to like keep the conversation going. Well, what do myself. you think what do you, when do you ask open-ended questions and closed-ended questions as you've written multiple study books and do studies with people and when do you ask them uh my closed-ended questions are check-ins did mm-hmm. you get what we just went over okay you know, yeah. do you understand uh, does this make sense but even those don't you want more of a y- than yes right how do you pull that out sure um do you have any questions? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I, I use, well, here's something I use with, with young people especially. I, I like to study the Bible with, with young people. They're, it's always an exciting opportunity for me. Um, there's that energy and passion, mm -hmm. right? So I study mm -hmm. with anybody. But the, the problem with young people is um, that they're a lot of times more self-conscious than older folks. And so mm -hmm. if, if they don't know the question that's coming, it's like a turtle going back in the shell. And so right. what do I do to help? facilitate a discussion where this this young person or you know young people uh, are going to answer and so what I've done is I will write out my open-ended questions before the study so instead of writing like study notes mm -hmm. I'll write if I know five people are coming I'm going to write five open-ended questions yeah and I'm going to cut it up with a piece of paper and everybody gets one and so you get to read it ahead of time and what I'll tell them is uh, so I have the questions you all know what question you have as well so we're going to be studying 1 Thessalonians 4. And uh, so we're going to be talking about, uh, let's see, this, this, this righteousness where, uh, where we need to be living by faith or whatever. So what does righteousness mean? Uh, that word seems kind of weird. I'm curious if, if any of you guys have any thoughts on righteousness. Well, somebody had a card that says, what's your thoughts on righteousness? Yeah. What are some scriptures you know of? And so they've had, since they showed up to my house or wherever we met, they've had a few minutes to be like processing it. Mm -hmm. And maybe they got on Google and like Bible verse <laughs> righteousness. And so, but that's fine. It's yeah, like yeah. You're, you're 16 years old and you Googled and uh, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they should be filled. And you're able to tell another group or this group of your peers, uh, you know, well, I know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. And, and so that's what it's like when we pursue God's righteousness. Hey, that's a great thought. You just mm -hmm. answered it. a great question. So sometimes I, I front load my open-ended questions when I'm diligent, you know, mm -hmm. about the study. I maybe don't have time to do that all the time, but right. I find that to be a pretty healthy practice. Yeah. What about you guys? Thoughts? I might do, steal it. Do you understand what I just said? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How many times? Great close-ended <laughs> question. <laughs> how many times have we sat in a college classroom and your professor said, "Do you understand that?" Yeah. Right. I got it. Yeah, yeah. Nobody raise your point. hand because I'm gone. That's a good point. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what I'm saying. We want more than just a yes. Sure. And that's, I think, a big part of knowing who you're studying with. Um, when those are appropriate and being, you know, a group study comes off much different than a one-on-one a, a -on -one study. Because mm -hmm. there's, there's that fear of, and everyone has this fear, you don't want to say something stupid. Right. You don't want to ask a question that you think everybody else knows. Right. Um, and so we all are thinking those things in our mind. So a group study really needs a little bit more format, I think, uh, from someone that's leading it to try and help everyone get comfortable. Whereas a one-on-one -on -one or maybe even, you know, three people. Right. You can have a just kind of a free-flowing conversation sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and what Jonathan said about writing them out, I think is really good and helpful because every question you ask sounds smart to you because you know the answer <laughs> but how you word it to other people oh, can be tricky yeah and so if you write it out and you see it maybe you recognize maybe that's not the best way to ask this question yeah. well you and and you wrote it knowing the answer right mm -hmm. and so i've had it many times where i felt really foolish <laughs> when mm -hmm. people read my question and they're like what yeah what do you even mean i'm kind of yeah. like ah, oh, because yeah i knew where i was coming from but right. they, they didn't they couldn't get in here. Yeah, and so that's one of the most difficult things for me is asking questions in a way that everyone can kind of 
get it because like you said you know where you're coming from you know the answer and to me it's like oh here's a question but no mm. like that doesn't work for everybody sure and so you have to be able to figure out how to word things for groups yeah so when you're thinking of questions like again let's say you've got a passage you're studying through do you try and mix in some quite not that they're just trivial but just about the text i mean just to open up talking about the text or most of your questions trying to get towards a point um, that you want to make? I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but then I may have to re-answer your question, if that's okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of this uh, specific hierarchy of, of inquiry that I used to use when I was a school teacher. And this hierarchy of inquiry starts at the base asking mm -hmm. like what questions and who questions yeah because it really is just the facts you know who said it paul yeah uh who's the audience the philippians for example yeah but then raising or going up the the levels of inquiry get you into more uh deeper levels of of understanding so you're getting into the how and then yeah. eventually the why questions so i i try to ask all of those i've found for myself Sometimes we want to move really fast to the why, mm -hmm. and the Bible doesn't give us why answers a lot of the times. A lot of times the why isn't there. It's up to us to figure out the how, mm -hmm. and then the why might be the mindset, the setting your mind on things above and not on the things of this world. And so, well, what's my why for communion? You know, what's my why for mm -hmm. baptism? Other than God told me to, you know, I yeah. want to find motivation. So, long story long, um, the questions that I ask for a specific passage, I want to check for their understanding. Do, do you understand um, who Jesus' audience is when he's uh, doing the Sermon on the Mount? Who's he talking to here? That's kind of a closed-ended question. It's obviously the Jewish people. He's in a Jewish area. you know. But then the, the how and the why of the Sermon on the Mount, for example, is drawing the in our understanding of those principles applying yeah. it. It's really important to ask all of them, I think. It's good. What do you think? I, you are, in my mind, one of the best question askers that I've come across. Your workbooks are really excellent, and the conversations we have sometimes annoy me because I didn't <laughs> intend to talk about certain things, and then you ask a prodding question, and I end up talking about things. And so, But I do think it's important, like I said, know your audience, and kind of kind of work with what you have in their knowledge base yeah. and work within it in order to create. Because you want them to feel comfortable and you want them to continue to look within Scripture. And you ultimately, you want them to understand. You want, like, this isn't a, we've talked about this in the beginning, this isn't a sermon. This isn't you uh, showing off your skills and your knowledge of Scripture. The entire purpose of Bible study is for them to study the Bible. You to study too. You're gonna. It's one of the things you learn too. Is you learn a lot from Bible study, and you want them to understand. And so, if they're not understanding, sticking around and working on, you know, your Bibles. You might have intended to get ten points in in your Bible study. You might hit two, and if they come away with two points fully understood, you've you've won. You've done something great. And if they come away with one point, yeah. I feel you, like it's, yeah. it's a win. Same right. with sermons. It's like, right. did you take away yeah. <laughs> something from this? Hooray! Right. right. And, and, and again, for the people, you know, just generally wanting to have Bible studies, um, I think your answer to my question kind of gets to this. 
there's different levels of questions. And remember, when we're having a Bible study, every point, every question doesn't have to be like some theological thunderbolt. Oh, that's just, so good. Just even learning a passage right. may not have a big theological point, but if they understand the text better, mm-hmm. 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 that's a step ahead. And uh, and that's one thing I've always struggled with is, yeah. you know, especially if I know who I'm studying with and I'm kind of preparing beforehand, I, I start thinking of these questions but it's almost like a sermon in reverse. It's like, this is the point I want to make. So how do I trick them into this point? <laughs> right. um, it, and uh, so that's a good way of doing that, that you mentioned all the different types of questions. Well, this works with sermons and with Bible studies. But the older I get, the less I try to make a big application yeah. phase of the sermon. You know, like if I've got a 30-minute sermon, I used to... It, my, my three-point sermon, right? The third point, the application phase is going to be 10 minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I'm learning as I get older is I'm robbing the audience of their duty mm-hmm. to be creative in its application of, of their, this is how they get to chew on the word and then take it yeah. home. Right. If I tell them, here's the three ways to apply my sermon, then I've limited the 30 ways that they could have come yeah. up with, right. with application themselves. And so it is with Bible study. You're right. If you are reverse engineering a conclusion Mm -hmm. to ask questions to get them there. I think it's worth asking, are we manipulating the study versus allowing it to proceed on its own? I think that's a big aspect with Romans 1 when Paul says that the gospel is God's power to save. When we begin to manipulate, we then begin to think, even if it's unconsciously, we begin to then say the power to save them is in my ability Mm -hmm. to trick them into Mm -hmm. understanding. And that's we haven't talked about this with questions. We need to be careful about gotcha questions too, like questions that we're just setting them up. And it's like, oh, I got you now. All right. Well, it's funny you say that because some of my training was in gotcha questions, like say right. these things to yeah. trick them into revealing that they're right. Uh, they don't know what they know, mm-hmm. and then you bring that back later. Ha! Yeah. See, you said <laughs> this, and I get that maybe that's helpful whenever. The specific thing yeah. I'm thinking about is baptism, or yeah. what, what? At what moment were you saved, and then you bring it up later? Ha, gotcha. Right. You didn't say it yeah. was baptism, but there's a mindset there of what's behind. What? What? what are, what's the motivation of what yeah. I'm doing? Yeah. And do you want be. them to feel foolish, or do you want them to see the error of their way? Right. And then your attitude is going to shine through in that. Right. Because if it is that baptism question, you don't want to come to that gotcha question and then them feel embarrassed and foolish and then get defensive. You want it to be a, mm-hmm. oh, I see that wasn't right. I do need to do what's right. Right. And so you have to come from the right angle too. It was Ron Corder that told me this. I always respect what Ron, the nuggets of wisdom he'll give. Oh, yeah. Um, and this was more about sermons, but he said, respect the intelligence of your audience. Mm. So like you were saying, when we, when we over tell the application, in some ways we don't mean this, but mm. what we're saying is, I've explained this passage and now this is how you have to apply it. Right. Instead of trusting the audience right. to learn now that you've helped them understand the passage better, given them groundwork to study it more yep. and they know how to apply it. And I think that's true in a Bible study too. Um, respect, you know, that's a remind ourselves to be respectful of if we come away having just learned the Bible text better together that is success. 
there's there, you're bonding mm-hmm. and we, we talked about relationship way back at the beginning I guess we're coming full circle yeah. but yeah. you've bonded together you've gone through something where you together coming out instead of it being yeah. you just up here as the sage on a stage and they're <laughs> you know yeah. your alliteration is great today yes it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's from that's from when I was an elementary school teacher. That they didn't want you to be sage on the stage with your, oh, gotcha. with your little kids. Hey, I'm going to tell you this because I told you I was going to answer it twice, and I've been sitting here with my phone talking about <laughs> what question yeah. or like what type of questions. And I said there's a the levels of inquiry. Mm-hmm. So my teacher friends out there can you know give me a virtual <laughs> high five for remembering this. Bloom's Taxonomy. You ever happen to have heard of Bloom's Taxonomy? Only because you've told me about it. Yeah. <laughs> so Bloom's Taxonomy, here's the this like little oh, okay. you know, mm-hmm. graphic organizer there. But he was a I think a research psychologist and here's here's his triangle. So here's the foundation going all the way up to the pinnacle. It's remember the questions that are asking about your you know, recalling mm-hmm. information. Remember, understand, apply, analyze evaluate and create so questions that will help you do those things now yeah. i'm not saying it lines up one-to-one with bible study but notice there was a foundation of yeah. remember so i i guess i want to emphasize what you said earlier every question doesn't have to be the aha moment yeah. of a lifetime you've just got to kind of build a foundation of we do mm-hmm. know what's going on here right yeah so that we can go on that journey to get to the point where they can have an aha moment my last question is, what goals do you set for yourself? Like uh, pre-study, as you're you're getting ready to go into a study, um, how do you you know want to feel at the end? What do you want to accomplish for the study for yourself, etc.? That way, our listeners is you know they they study with others. Maybe now they're feeling it's been demystified a bit. They're kind of mm-hmm. ready to do it. But what are just some healthy goals for self and for the study that, that you'd like to share? I mean, we all have that idea that we're going to have a, a Bible study and they're going to, you know, if this is a, a someone that's not obeyed the gospel, that they're going to immediately obey the gospel. And, right. you know, we're going to go down to the, the river, or the baptistry or wherever. So you, you text the elders before the study starts, <laughs> yeah. fill the baptistry, I'm about to go in. I mean, we all want that. And it's not that that can't happen. There's plenty of biblical examples of sure. a conversation and a conversion. Um, but I think... I don't know. I guess I've gotten more now to where the fact that I'm getting to talk to someone about the Bible feels like success up front. Right. Um, because while there's those conversion stories, there's a lot of stories of people walking away from Jesus. Right. Um, and so it's going to happen to us too. And instead of feeling this crushing guilt of, man, I didn't convert them this time, and they don't even want to have a Bible study next time. The fact that we are having the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus and his word in some way, that's what we're doing. We're, we're watering and we're planting. Mm, mm-hmm. And we have to get comfortable with, we do that labor. And maybe we see the results. Maybe we don't see the results. Right. Um, so that's not a, that's not a get out of jail free, you know, lazy. Just, I think you've got to set that expectation. The fact that we're getting to discuss the word is, is the success. Amen. Yeah, and I think kind of with that mindset, you know, if Paul can cast out demons and do all the miracles that he did and still have, you know, the Athenians in Acts 17 mock him for his teachings, who says we're going to be in We can't do those things. Right. You know, all 
we can do is share the gospel with them. And so along those same lines is you have, if you want to use the term one, you've won by just getting a study with somebody. And so the goals that my main goal that I like to set, and I learned this phraseology from, I think it's from, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh, he talks about putting a rock in somebody's shoe um, and just giving them something to chew on that's going to annoy them or kind of sit on their mind that's going to eat, eat at them. Mm. And whether mm. or not it's you who they come back to or somebody else and gets the answers, that's great. But just leaving them thinking more about the Bible is really my goal because I don't go in thinking, especially the first or five times, think that we're going to go to the water or anything of that nature. But it's all about, am I leaving them with a better understanding of the Word of God, which is what we talked about, and am I leaving them with something that you want to think about as they go home? And so that's kind of one of the things that I really like. What are we going to talk about that I think, all right, we're going to leave them thinking. The analogy that that makes me think of is if I prepared someone a delicious meal and feed them with it, they're going to get hungry again. Right. And so going back to the scripture, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So you, we, we help feed people yeah. with the understanding that they're going to get hungry again and need more. So we're not going to try to feed them to, to never hunger. We're feeding them to come back and get something again and again. Right. And that setting, um, so I think some goals would be more personal. Uh, I hope that after any Bible study, even if there's been disagreement, I hope that what people see is someone that's been respectful and someone that isn't, doesn't have to be a Bible scholar, but I hope that they can tell I take the Bible seriously and know enough to have a discussion that I'm passionate about it and that I want to talk about it with them. Yeah. Um, and if they come away, because maybe, maybe it ends, maybe they want to come back, maybe they don't, but if they remember that I honestly cared, that I honestly studied, that I was true to, to the Word, and maybe a couple years later when they've got a question or they have a problem, you know, they, they remember that study they had and they want to come back. Um, so it's not about just winning an argument. Um, I think about this with sermons too. Now, I used to think you get the visitor that comes in and you got to change your sermon for this outsider that just sure. came in. <laughs> right. And now I've thought... Instead, wouldn't it be more for them to see the sermon that I've been thinking about and studying yeah. and they can sit there and say, okay, this, this is a place where they teach the Bible and they, uh -huh. you know, maybe that intrigues them a lot more than the sermon that was obviously changed at the last minute for them yeah. and this whole audience. That's a great point. I needed to hear that and 10 years ago. So where were you, Nate? I, well, I was learning <laughs> that lesson probably. Um, but the same with study. Yeah. It proved that you're a follower of Christ, that you want them to be. And that that's what you're passionate mm. about. Love it. I think playing off what he said, Philemon is a great book. It's one of my favorite books. And within Philemon, he talks about the effective nature of Philemon sharing his faith. Mm. And he said, it's made effective by every good thing which you've done. And he notes, Paul notes to Philemon that he's done good things within his community. He's refreshed the saints. He's refreshed people around him. He's taken care of them. And because of that, the sharing of his faith is effective. And so by making sure that he is faithful and committed and a good person, he's more effective in sharing his faith. And so one of the things that anybody going into a Bible study and anything religious, if you're going to be a, a teacher or a preacher or whatever, 
the effectiveness of your work is on the authentic life you live as an individual. Right. And so if, you know, if you're faking it, it's going to come out at some point. And so if you're going to be successful in a Bible study with somebody, be authentic. If you don't know something, be authentic with that. If yeah. you do, be authentic with it. And that's going to come across. And so I think that's a necessary aspect. And that begins with what nature said, being faithful yourself. Hmm. And if you start there at that foundation, things are going to work in a positive direction. And so Love it. Well, guys, thank you for sitting with me. Thank you. And uh, having a very impromptu discussion, <laughs> right? So I yeah. gave you a list of bullet points, and that was it. So hopefully your anxiety wasn't too high before we got started. But It yeah. was fun. I enjoyed it. I hope that our listeners yeah, enjoyed as much as maybe we've had the chance to workshop yeah. together. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. It. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm very thankful for brothers Nate and Aaron joining me in studio to talk about this, especially because it was an after-lunch recording, and uh, I'm certain that maybe eyes were a little bit droopy whenever we were in studio. I didn't offer any coffee. What a terrible host. So anyway, I'm so glad you joined us. Grateful for that conversation. And like I always say, Go to the website, check out all the stuff. It's there for you to use and utilize. It's absolutely free, and I encourage you to do it. Also, subscribe to the podcast, and always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you. Well, it's real.